What do you want? Abu, Bakar, al-Baghdadi is dead. The terrorist is responsible for the murder of thousands. This is not a method. This is an historic day. Iran alive. Victim. This is a provocation. French Accent, your podcast about Middle East, terrorism and intelligence with your host, Antoine Mariotti. Hello everybody and welcome to this new episode of French Accent. Today we will discuss the human rights issue in the Middle East. Syria, Yemen, Palestine, Iran or even Afghanistan, there are unfortunately too many countries, too many people concerned. My guest today to talk about all this is Kenneth Roth, the Human Rights Watch Executive Director. Ken, bonjour and thank you very much for being with us. Bonjour Antoine, c'est mon plaisir. Your organization publishes regularly reports on the situation in the different countries I just mentioned and many more. Uh, is there one you are more concerned about? Well, I mean, the, the Middle East sadly has, you know, a number of troubling situations. You know, there's the ongoing disaster of Syria. There's the you know, threatening total disaster of Yemen. Um, there is, you know, the, the tightening crackdown in Egypt, the ongoing repression in Saudi Arabia and the Emirates. Um, Iran is is moving backwards in terms of tolerance of dissent. You know, the Israeli government is cementing its apartheid. So there's there's sadly plenty to talk about. Um, just an example, because in the last few days we saw French President Emmanuel Macron visited. Saudi Arabia, and he had lunch with the Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Salman, the one accused of being behind the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi a few years ago. Was it a big mistake uh, to normalize relations with him? I don't understand what President Macron was thinking. Um, he obviously went to the Gulf to sell French arms, and he announced you know, a huge arms sale to the Emiratis, bolstering the military that has been responsible for, you know, bombing Yemeni civilians and, you know, has been deeply complicit in the war crimes and humanitarian disaster there. You know, he then goes next door to Saudi Arabia and becomes the worst, the first Western democratic leader to meet with the Saudi crown prince since the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. And why was this necessary? You know, clearly France has an interest in selling arms. That has become, I'm afraid, a paramount interest. It explains you know, why France gives President Sisi of Egypt Légion d'honneur. Um, it explains you know, why they've decided to become complicit in, in ongoing war crimes in Yemen. It just seems like there's, there's no limit to this French interest in selling arms and that human rights are a completely secondary situation. So you know, I don't get it. It was utterly unnecessary. No one else felt it necessary to meet with Mohammed bin Salman. Um, why did Macron feel that you know it was in France's interest, other than the prospect of arms sales, to proceed like this? It's a very one-dimensional policy. And we can see that U.S. President Joe Biden, for now, only talks with the king, not with the crown prince, even if Mohammed bin Salman is more or less the most important one in the country. Um, no, I mean, in other words, um, you know, Biden, I, you know, to, to be critical there, also has continued to sell arms to the Saudis. You know, they have announced that they would stop selling 
offensive weapons that are used to bomb Yemeni civilians, but they continue selling defensive weapons, you know, ostensibly to help Saudi Arabia prepare for a, a possible attack from Iran, or more from the Houthi for that matter. Um, but it is, um, you know, Biden at least has kept his different distance from the Saudi crown prince, who, you know, in addition his, to his government having overseen or you know, done the, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, um, has also completely cracked down on dissent, and he portrays himself as a, a liberalizer, um, but that means, you know, top down, whatever the monarch wants becomes liberal. But if you have the audacity to demand your rights, if you're a woman seeking the right to drive, you're thrown in prison. You know, he wants to give it to you without being asked. So, um, you know, this is not a man who is worth closing up to. And Biden at least has kept his distance there. But President Macron now has not. Uh, let's say a few words about Syria. Uh, we see, and it's not quite new, it's been a few years now, we see some countries re-establishing diplomatic relations with Syria and its president Bashar al-Assad. Uh, and I am not talking about countries like North Korea. I'm talking about Jordan, a strong US and EU ally in the region. I'm talking about the United Arab Emirates, another important ally uh, where French President Macron was just a few days ago. Um, do you think foreign countries will forget what Assad has done, like they forgot what Gaddafi had done a few years ago? Well, I think, Antoine, the important thing to remember is that this is not simply a past tense issue. That is to say that, you know, yes, um, you know, Assad has been responsible for large-scale atrocities, you know, the use of chemical weapons, the, the deliberate bar bombing of hospitals and schools and markets and apartment buildings and opposition areas, you know, these, these deadly sieges of civilians. Um, just because the Syrian government now controls a significant part of Syria, not all, but, but a significant part, doesn't mean the atrocities have ended. Um, Human Rights Watch has um, looked at Syrian refugees who went back and they are still being picked up detained, tortured, you know, in some cases they may be executed. We don't know sometimes, you know, we don't, we don't know what happens to people who disappear into the Syrian detention centers. So um, these atrocities have not ended. Um, and this is important, obviously, for Western countries who um, were threatening to start sending Syrian refugees back, you know, Denmark led in that respect. It's, it's important for, um, you know, the countries of the region, say Lebanon in particular, which is, you know, eager to send back the refugees, but shouldn't because of the severe danger awaiting them. And it's important for a country like Jordan, which has to recognize that, you know, yes, Assad may be the de facto authority, but this is still a man with horrible blood on his hands and, and ongoing atrocities to his name. So do you think economy is more important than the human rights issue? You know, I, I think that there's a tendency to feel that, oh, Assad probably has won the war, so let's just, you know, accept that he's in charge and we'll reestablish relations. And what that ignores is that this is a man who is responsible for crimes against humanity. You know, he should be um, arrested and prosecuted. And, and just because, you know, many of the crimes were in the past doesn't mean that they should be swept under the rug. This is certainly not a time to just treat him as a respectable member of the, the club of, of rulers in the Middle East. I spoke a few months ago with a former uh, European ambassador to the UN, and he told me, at the end of the day, I realized, and I didn't think that a few years ago, but I realized that 
a dictator uh, is less worse than a big war. There is less dead people, etc. Is it something you can hear? I think the issue isn't. Those are not the only choices. You know, obviously war is terrible. It's, it's much worse when you have a leader who is willing to fight the war with no constraints, who treats the civilian population, if they happen to live in an area held by the armed opposition, as a legitimate target. In other words, ripping up the Geneva Conventions, ripping up the progress that has been made since the Second World War and trying to spare civilians the, the hazards of war. That's what Assad did. Um, so this is you know, a horrible leader. Um, to say, oh, well, you know, the war is winding down, so we'll just reconcile with him, ignores that you know, even during peacetime, ostensible peacetime, um, Assad is still committing atrocities. You know, he still was arresting people. He's still torturing people. He's still executing people. And so um, it's not as if the bloodshed ends just when the war ends. Um, and it's not as if the choice is between you know, a dictator who slaughters people or a dictator at war. You know, the third option is to press for a government that respects rights. And, and that is what I'm afraid um, Assad's neighbors are ceasing to do as they just say, oh, you know, the war is winding down. Let's just get back together with him. There is one country Human Rights Watch often clashes with. It's Israel. Israeli leaders repeat constantly that Israel is the only democracy in the region. Uh, first of all, do you think it's true? Well, you know, that's a, um, if you ask somebody living in the West Bank or somebody in Gaza, they would hardly say Israel is a democracy, you know, because Israel is a brutal occupier. So, you know, if within the green line of Israel, you know, within the 67 borders, yes, people get to vote. You know, I think that's widely seen as a democracy. But um, Israel is um, maintaining this highly oppressive occupation throughout the rest of its territory. Um, the rest of the territory under its control. And, um, and it's not a democracy there. So I think it has to be you know, democracy with an asterisk, you know, a qualified democracy, given that you know, millions of Palestinians are subject to his rule with no voice over how they're, how they're governed. And you know, for the longest time, the Israeli government could say, oh, well, you know, we're, we're working on peace. There's this peace process. There's Oslo. It'll all work out there. But increasingly, people don't believe that anymore because the peace process has been going on for decades with no progress. In fact, if anything, it's becoming less and less likely that there would ever be a two-state solution as the Israeli government continues to build settlements. And so you know, increasingly, when you talk to people in the region, they talk about the one-state reality, the fact that you know, for better or worse, there is just one state between the river and the sea. Um, it's just that you know, within that state, you have um, you know, Israelis who have reasonable rights, and Palestinians under occupation who don't. And that you know, reality is what led Human Rights Watch to issue the major report that we did this past April, denouncing the Israeli government for its apartheid. Because you have you know, two people living side by side, governed by completely different legal regimes, different levels of, respect, of restrictions, different degrees of respect or non-respect for their rights. Um, it's a classic case of apartheid. And If the only answer the Israeli government can come up with is, oh, you know, don't worry about it, we have the peace process, that's not an answer. That, that's an answer that ceased being credible years ago. 
And let's be honest, there is no more peace process for years now. There is no more negotiation since 2014. Uh, and John Kerry was doing that uh, at that time. Um, the Israeli Defense Ministry issued uh, a military order on October 19, declaring six Palestinian civil society organizations in the occupied Palestinian territory to be terrorist organizations. Uh, the famous Alak organization is among them. Are you surprised or very worried? It doesn't seem to, to worry foreign countries that much. And I have to remember that your regional director, Omar Shakir, uh, has been forced to leave the country uh, recent, a few years ago, a few months ago. And I met him in Ramallah this time, and now he's in Jordan, if I'm correct. Well, I don't think anybody who has looked at the evidence finds it credible. And so what this seems to be the separate to tar you know, six leading Palestinian human rights groups as terrorists seems to be an effort on the part of the Israeli government to shut them down. Um, and I think what they were hoping is that this terrorist designation would lead um, particularly European funders to stop funding them. But in fact, the European governments that have looked at the evidence have found that it doesn't support the charge. Um, in fact, as best as we can tell, the evidence is, you know, evidence, if you want to call it that, is a former employee of a, a seventh organization, a completely different one, who supposedly said under Israeli interrogation, who knows what you know, kind of coercion, that you know, yes, everybody knows that these groups are PFLP, uh, which is you know, just a, a wild evidence-free statement. Um, but the Israeli government seems to have used that to try to shut down all of these groups. And you know, even the, the Biden administration, even the US government, which you know, is not exactly known for standing up to Israel, Um, they just sent their ambassador from the United Nations to meet with these groups in the West Bank. And, and talk about, a, you know, an implicit refutation of the charges. There's no way that they would have done that if the Biden administration believed um, these allegations. And so, you know, it's an effort that seems to have backfired. It just, you know, has made the Israeli government lose even more credibility. Um, it makes them look like they're just trying to silence the messenger rather than stop their um, serious human rights abuses against the Palestinian population. Um, and they've, you know, th this tactic has just, you know, not worked at all. So that's that's where we are. Um, the Palestinian problem is endemic. More than half a million Israeli settlers are living on Palestinian territory uh, in East Jerusalem and in the West Bank. The Gaza Strip is under blockade with no hope to be able to do basic things like traveling overseas or exporting local products uh, normally. Um, and I can go on and on like this for a long time. Um, do you still have any hope something can change there? Well, I mean, let's talk for a moment about Gaza. You mentioned it. You know, the Israeli government says, oh, we need to, um, you know, restrict access to Gaza because Hamas periodically sends rockets into southern Israel indiscriminately and, and you know, sometimes kills civilians. And the Israeli government has a legitimate interest in stopping these rocket attacks. There's no question about that. But it sure. could do that by, um, you know, restricting import of material that could be used in the building of rockets. But it doesn't do that. It instead has completely limited access to Gaza. So most of the um, residents of Gaza can't leave. I mean, recently Egypt has opened up its border a little bit, but typically Egypt has been an accomplice in the Israeli blockade. And so people are stuck in this large open air prison. 
the you know basic commerce is restricted. So if you know if the Israeli government says we want to make sure that you know no rocket material gets in, few people would would quarrel. But they are blocking any kind of commerce. You know they're preventing um, Palestinian you know fishermen from going very far out at sea. They're blocking you know most any kind of trade. Um, and the result is that you've got this you know millions of Palestinians in in Gaza who have become utterly dependent on humanitarian assistance. So they're not starving because humanitarian aid comes in, but that's very different from enabling the economy to function. And, and if this were really about you know, just the rockets, the Israeli government would allow the Gazan economy, economy to function as much as possible and just restrict import of material that might be used in the rockets. But it's clearly about trying to retaliate against Hamas by retaliating against the Gazan people. And that is, you know, collective punishment that is completely antithetical to the, the requirements of the Geneva Conventions that war not be fought by targeting civilians. So do you have any hope it can change? Well, I mean, at this point, um, I think that the world is waking up to the fact that um, this is apartheid. You know, and the, the reason that Human Rights Watch issued the report um, this past April was because You know, we were tired of people saying, oh, just wait for the peace process. You know, it's clear that the peace process is going nowhere. And so we wanted to try to, you know, to show this is what the discriminatory oppressive reality is today for people who live in, in the West Bank, East Jerusalem and, and Gaza. And so um, I hope that that will lead to intensifying pressure on the Israeli government, because the government, the Israeli government's um, view up until now has been, You know, we'll just live with the occasional protest, but we gradually are going to just, you know, take over the West Bank, build more and more settlements, preclude any emergence of a, um, of a Palestinian state. And um, nobody's really bothering us much for that. So we'll just keep this going forever. And but it, it's not a long term solution because, you know, either you ultimately have, you know, a single state where everybody has equal rights and everybody can vote, which would be fine. But the Israeli government doesn't want that. Um, or you have apartheid which the Israeli government may be willing to settle for, but you know, then would rightfully um, turn Israel into a pariah state. Or they may be contemplating mass expulsion, which would be you know, just as bad. So um, it's just hard to see what the Israeli government's endpoint is. They seem to want to just keep kicking it down the road and hoping that there are not big consequences for what they're doing. And, and my hope is that by, by really shining a spotlight on the reality, by showing that this is indeed apartheid already, that we may help to generate enough pressure on the Israeli government that it recognizes that it has to come up with you know, a, a more acceptable alternative than the current options it's considering. And since we speak of Israel, there is an Israeli group which is more and more seen as a major problem. I'm talking about NSO group, uh, which created the famous Pegasus spyware, which turns an infected phone into a portable surveillance tool. Um, it is said that Pegasus has been massively used by some Middle Eastern countries and has assisted uh, those countries in human rights abuses. Who is using this and how bad is the problem? Well, I think it's important to note that even though the NSO group is a private company, it only allowed its Pegasus software, its, its spyware, to be licensed with the Israeli government's approval. So this is really Israeli government action to say that, you know, the Emiratis or the Saudis or whomever could use Pegasus spyware. And 
the Israeli government clearly kept approving it for use by governments that have horrible human rights records. And so we shouldn't be surprised that it turns out that it was used to hack journalists, dissidents, um, you know, that, that it was not about, you know, the way the Israelis like to describe it, oh, just fighting terrorism or fighting traffickers or whatever. You know, this was about suppressing dissent. And the Israeli government allowed the spyware to be licensed to governments that were notorious for suppressing dissent. In fact, you know, what's now turned out is that um, it, it even was used to hack um, U.S. You know, employees of the U.S. Embassy in Uganda. That was the most recent um, revelation. So um, I think we just have to, you know, put the blame where it belongs, which is on the Israeli government, for allowing this very powerful spyware to be used by governments that have no interest in respecting human rights whatsoever. Just one word about Afghanistan. We heard many things since the Taliban came back in power a few months ago, especially about summary executions. Um, what is the reality of Afghanistan under the Taliban rule? Well, I mean, if you talk to Taliban officials in Kabul, they try to pretend that this is the new and improved Taliban. This is Taliban 2.0. This is not as bad as the Taliban of 20 years ago. Um, the proof on the ground is a little different. You know, Human Rights Watch just issued a report this week about um, summary executions of former Afghan security officials. Um, we know that, you know, with respect to um, girls going to school, um, girls are in elementary school, um, but for the most part, they're not allowed yet to go to secondary school. Um, you know, the uh, Taliban says, oh, we have security issues. But, you know, it's, it's um, those can be solved with the proper orders. Um, but they seem to be hiding behind security issues to prevent girls from going to school. You know, when it comes to university, they say, oh, in principle, women can go to university, but um, only if they're segregated. And then there are not enough women professors around. So, in fact, um, many women are not able to continue with their university education. Um, you know, when it comes to women working outside of the home or working as journalists or even walking around without um, a member, a male member of their family as an escort, Um, the practice varies across the country, but um, for the most part, the Taliban are, you know, are, are still forcing women to live under very significant restrictions on their rights. So it's, you know, it's a work in progress. I mean, I don't think any of this is set in stone. The Taliban is um, dependent on international assistance, which means there's considerable um, leverage that the international community has over the Taliban. That it can be used to push for you know, allowing women's rights, allowing, um, you know, Afghanistan's once vibrant um, media to continue. But the other complexity in this is that there is a huge liquidity crisis in Afghanistan. That is to say, there's not enough physical cash. And the result is that even though people have, you know, money in the bank, in principle, they can't withdraw it. And so the economy is collapsing right now. Um, there's large-scale starvation setting in. And some way has to be found to reintroduce liquidity, actually get the physical cash back into Afghanistan in a way that doesn't just go into the pockets of the Taliban, but allows you know, teachers or healthcare workers to be paid um, and allows you know, the economy to begin to revive. And so you know, even though nobody wants to reward the Taliban, we are facing the prospect of a humanitarian disaster of unspeakable scale, unless something is done to Um, to prevent this economic collapse. 
we talked about Afghanistan, about Syria, Israel, Palestine. Uh, we could also talk about Iran, Saudi Arabia, Yemen. Uh, is there at least one country in the Middle East where there is no human rights abuses? Not that I can think of, no. Which is very sad. Well, it's, it's the reality. I mean, obviously, there are gradations from country to country. You know, one thing maybe it's worth talking about is, is Yemen for a moment, because um, sure. we, you know, the Houthi are moving toward taking Marib, a major city in the center of the country. And, um, you know, the, the, there's been much focus on the Saudi-led coalition, which was notorious for, you know, bombing, um, you know, a school bus, funerals, schools, etc. Um, but the Saudis, you know, they were so determined to stop scrutiny of their war crimes that they arm-twisted governments into stopping the UN Human Rights Council's investigative mechanism, something called the Group of Eminent Experts. And, um, you know, literally by telling countries, you know, you cannot send your citizens on the Hajj unless you vote to lift the scrutiny of, of our conduct in Yemen. And they did this at a point where, you know, in fact, it was Houthi atrocities that are in the ascendancy right now. So um, this was done just in September. It was a bit of a surprising um, win by the Saudis. So Human Rights Watch and many of our colleague organizations have um, been pushing the UN General Assembly to create its own investigative mechanism, and one that can not only investigate and report, but actually could also preserve evidence and build cases for prosecution. And this is something that really needs to be done quite urgently because of the potential fall of Marib. But it is, um, you know, it's something that the, the members of the General Assembly, which are, you know, all 193 governments of the world, um, they all have an opportunity to address. And the Human Rights Council being only 47 countries, it was a smaller group the Saudis could, you know, threaten and bribe their way through it. They're going to have a harder time doing that with all 193 countries. But this is an urgent task before the the Security Council. It's something that has happened in the past, you know, with Syria, for example, where they, they created what's known as the, the IIIM, the Independent International Impartial Mechanism, which, you know, builds war crime cases against Assad and others. And um, we need something similar now done in Yemen. How hard is it for your organization, Human Rights Watch, to work in Yemen, in Afghanistan, and in all those countries across, across the region? Well, you know, obviously our ability to enter the country varies from country to country, um, you know, and I mean, the Egyptian government threw me out of the country a few years ago. You know, the Israeli government threw out um, Human Rights Watch as a researcher. You know, there are countries like, um, you know, Iran or Saudi Arabia that don't let us in. Um, that said, it's always possible to collect information. And so it's, you know, it's best if we can go on the ground. Um, sometimes we'll sneak into places. Other times we use, you know, other means but we always can find out what's happening. There's always a way to do it. And so there's always a way to continue to shine a spotlight on the government's abuses. Ken, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Antoine. It's good talking with you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Do not hesitate to share this episode on social medias. It helps. Have a nice day and see you next time for a new episode of French Accent. Take care. This was French Accent. Listen to our previous episodes And do not miss the next ones on FrenchAccentPodcast.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram.